section thirty of guy mannering this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by dion gines salt lake city utah guy mannering or the astrologer by sir walter scott volume one chapter twenty seven if thou hast any love of mercy in thee turn me upon my face that i may die joanna bailey our traveller hired a post-chaise at the place where he separated from dinmont with the purpose of proceeding to kippletringen there to inquire into the state of the family at woodbourne before he should venture to make his presence in the country known to miss mannering the stage was a long one of eighteen or twenty miles and the road lay across the country to add to the inconveniences of the journey the snow began to fall pretty quickly the postilion however proceeded on his journey for a good many miles without expressing doubt or hesitation it was not until the night was completely set in that he intimated his apprehensions whether he was in the right road the increasing snow rendered this intimation rather alarming for as it drove full in the lad's face and lay whitening all around him it served in two different ways to confuse his knowledge of the country and to diminish the chance of his recovering the right track brown then himself got out and looked around not it may be well imagined from any better hope than that of seeing some house at which he might make inquiry but none appeared he could therefore only tell the lad to drive steadily on the road on which they were ran through plantations of considerable extent and depth and the traveller therefore conjectured that there must be a gentleman's house at no great distance at length after struggling wearily on for about a mile the post-boy stopped and protested his horses would not budge a foot farther but he saw he said a light among the trees which must proceed from a house the only way was to inquire the road there accordingly he dismounted heavily encumbered with a long greatcoat and a pair of boots which might have rivalled in thickness the sevenfold shield of ajax as in this guise he was plodding forth upon his voyage of discovery brown's impatience prevailed and jumping out of the carriage he desired the lad to stop where he was by the horses and he would himself go to the house a command which the driver most joyfully obeyed our traveller groped along the side of the enclosure from which the light glimmered in order to find some mode of approaching in that direction and after proceeding for some space at length found a stile in the hedge and a pathway leading into the plantation which in that place was of great extent this promised to lead to the light which was the object of his search and accordingly brown proceeded in that direction 
but soon totally lost sight of it among the trees the path which at first seemed broad and well marked by the opening of the wood through which it winded was now less easily distinguishable although the whiteness of the snow afforded some reflected light to assist his search directing himself as much as possible through the more open parts of the wood he proceeded almost a mile without either recovering a view of the light or seeing anything resembling a habitation still however he thought it best to persevere in that direction it must surely have been a light in the hut of a forester for it shone too steadily to be the glimmer of an ignis fatuous the ground at length became broken and declined rapidly and although brown conceived he still moved along what had once at least been a pathway it was now very unequal and the snow concealing those breaches and inequalities the traveller had one or two falls in consequence he began now to think of turning back especially as the falling snow which his impatience had hitherto prevented his attending to was coming on thicker and faster willing however to make a last effort he still advanced a little way when to his great delight he beheld the light opposite at no great distance and apparently upon a level with him he quickly found that this last appearance was deception for the ground continued so rapidly to sink as made it obvious there was a deep dell or ravine of some kind between him and the object of his search taking every precaution to preserve his footing he continued to descend until he reached the bottom of a very steep and narrow glen through which winded a small rivulet whose course was then almost choked with snow he now found himself embarrassed among the ruins of cottages whose black gables rendered more distinguishable by the contrast with the whitened surface from which they rose were still standing the side walls had long since given way to time and piled in shapeless heaps and covered with snow offered frequent and embarrassing obstacles to our traveller's progress still however he persevered crossed the rivulet not without some trouble and at length by exertions which became both painful and perilous ascended its opposite and very rugged bank until he came on a level with the building from which the gleam proceeded it was difficult especially by so imperfect a light to discover the nature of this edifice but it seemed a square building of small size the upper part of which was totally ruinous it had perhaps been the abode in former times of some lesser proprietor or a place of strength and concealment in case of need for one of greater importance but only the lower vault remained the arch of which formed the roof in the present state of the building brown first approached the place from whence the light proceeded which was a long narrow slit or loophole such as usually are to be found in old castles impaled by curiosity to reconnoitre the interior of this strange place before he entered 
brown gazed in at this aperture a scene of greater desolation could not well be imagined there was a fire upon the floor the smoke of which after circling through the apartment escaped by a hole broken in the arch above the walls seen by this smoky light had the rude and waste appearance of a ruin of three centuries old at least a cask or two with some broken boxes and packages lay about the place in confusion but the inmates chiefly occupied brown's attention upon a lair composed of straw with a blanket stretched over it lay a figure so still that except that it was not dressed in the ordinary habiliments of the grave brown would have concluded it to be a corpse on a steadier view he perceived it was only on the point of becoming so for he heard one or two of those low deep and hard-drawn sighs that precede dissolution when the frame is tenacious of life a female figure dressed in a long cloak sat on a stone by this miserable couch her elbows rested upon her knees and her face averted from the light of an iron lamp beside her was bent upon that of the dying person she moistened his mouth from time to time with some liquid and between whiles sung in a low monotonous cadence one of those prayers or rather spells which in some parts of scotland and the north of england are used by the vulgar and ignorant to speed the passage of a parting spirit like the tolling of the bell in catholic days she accompanied this dismal sound with a slow rocking motion of her body to and fro as if to keep time with her song the words ran nearly thus wasted weary wherefore stray wrestling thus with earth and clay from the body pass away hark the mass is singing from thee doff thy mortal weed mary mother be thy speed saints to help thee at thy need hark the knell is ringing fear not snowdrift driving fast sleet or hail or leaven blast soon the shroud shall lap thee fast and the sleep be on thee cast that shall ne'er no waking haste thee haste thee to be gone earth flits fast and time draws on gasp thy gasp and groan thy groan day is near the breaking the songstress paused and was answered by one or two deep and hollow groans that seemed to proceed from the very agony of the mortal strife it will not be she muttered to herself he cannot pass away with that on his mind it tethers him here heaven cannot abide it earth refuses to hide it i must open the door and rising she faced towards the door of the apartment observing heedfully not to turn her head and withdrawing a bolt or two for notwithstanding the miserable appearance of the place the door was cautiously secured she lifted the latch saying open lock end strife come death and pass life brown who had by this time moved from his post stood before her as she opened the door she stepped back a pace and he entered instantly recognizing 
but with no comfortable sensation the same gypsy woman whom he had met in bewcastle she also knew him at once and her attitude figure and the anxiety of her countenance assumed the appearance of a well-disposed ogress of a fairy-tale warning a stranger not to enter the dangerous castle of her husband the first words she spoke holding up her hands in a reproving manner were said i not to ye make not meddle not beware of the reading strake you are come to no house of fair stray death so saying she raised the lamp and turned its light on the dying man whose rude and harsh features were now convulsed with the last agony a roll of linen about his head was stained with blood which had soaked also through the blankets and the straw it was indeed under no natural disease that the wretch was suffering brown started back from this horrible object and turning to the gypsy exclaimed wretched woman who has done this they that were permitted answered meg merrilies while she scanned with a close and keen glance the features of the expiring man he has had a sere struggle but it's passing i kenned he would pass when you came in that was the death ruckle he's dead sounds were now heard at a distance as of voices they are coming said she to brown you are a dead man if ye had as many lives as hares brown eagerly looked round for some weapon of defence there was none near he then rushed to the door with the intention of plunging among the trees and making his escape by flight from what he now esteemed a den of murderers but merrilies held him with a masculine grasp here she said here be still and you are safe stir not whatever you see or hear and nothing shall befall you brown in these desperate circumstances remembered this woman's intimation formerly and thought he had no chance of safety but in obeying her she caused him to couch down among a parcel of straw on the opposite side of the apartment from the corpse covering him carefully and flung over him two or three old sacks which lay about the place anxious to observe what was to happen brown arranged as softly as he could the means of peeping from under the coverings by which he was hidden and awaited with a throbbing heart the issue of this strange and most unpleasant adventure the old gypsy in the meantime set about arranging the dead body composing its limbs and straightening the arms by its side best to do this she muttered ere he stiffen she placed on the dead man's breast a trencher with salt sprinkled upon it set one candle at the head and another at the feet of the body and lighted both then she resumed her song and awaited the approach of those whose voices had been heard without brown was a soldier and a brave one but he was also a man and at this moment his fears mastered his courage so completely that the cold drops burst out from every pore the idea of being dragged out of his miserable concealment by wretches whose trade was that of midnight murder without weapons or the slightest means of defence 
except entreaties which would be only their sport and cries for help which could never reach another ear than their own his safety entrusted to the precarious compassion of a being associated with these felons and whose trade of rapine and imposture must have hardened her against every human feeling the bitterness of his emotions almost choked him he endeavoured to read in her withered and dark countenance as the lamp threw its light upon her features something that promised those feelings of compassion which females even in their most degraded state can seldom altogether smother there was no such touch of humanity about this woman the interest whatever it was that determined her in his favour arose not from the impulse of compassion but from some internal and probably capricious association of feelings to which he had no clue it rested perhaps on a fancied likeness such as lady macbeth found to her father in the sleeping monarch such were the reflections that passed in rapid succession through brown's mind as he gazed from his hiding-place upon this extraordinary personage meantime the gang did not yet approach and he was almost prompted to resume his original intention of attempting an escape from the hut and cursed internally his own irresolution which had consented to his being cooped up where he had neither room for resistance nor flight meg merrily's seemed equally on the watch she bent her ear to every sound that whistled round the old walls then she turned again to the dead body and found something new to arrange or alter in its position he's a bonny corpse she muttered to herself and well worth the streaking and in this dismal occupation she appeared to feel a sort of professional pleasure entering slowly into all the minutiae as if with the skill and feelings of a connoisseur a long dark-coloured sea-cloak which she dragged out of a corner was disposed for a pall the face she left bare after closing the mouth and eyes and arranged the capes of the cloak so as to hide the bloody bandages and give the body as she muttered a more decent appearance at once three or four men equally ruffians in appearance and dress rushed into the hut meg ye limb of satan how dare you leave the door open was the first salutation of the party and what ever heard of a door being barred when a man was in the death-thraw how do you think the spirit was to get away through bolts and bars like that is he dead then said one who went to the side of the couch to look at the body ay ay dead enough said another but here's what shall give him a rousing like wake so saying he fetched a keg of spirits from a corner while meg hastened to display pipes and tobacco from the activity with which she undertook the task brown conceived good hope of her fidelity towards her guest it was obvious that she wished to engage the ruffians in their debauch to prevent the discovery which might take place if by accident any of them should approach too nearly the place of brown's concealment End of volume one chapter twenty seven